little October road action there for you, James Taylor. We are at the end of the road, end of October. It was a beautiful month here. I know uh, many of you uh, agree, upstate New York, it's just a beautiful time of year, October. The colors were just uh, vibrant, and uh, anyway, it's kind of sad to see it come to an end, but I'm looking forward to Election Day, and it's going to be an interesting November 8th. And I think Republicans, I think obviously nationwide, we're going to see a massive red wave, and I think it may extend here to New York State as well. Hopefully it does. I just watched uh, the uh, debate the other night. Got around to watching uh, Liz Joy and Paul Tonko tee it up for the 20th Congressional District. And Liz Joy is a very good candidate. She's she's sharp. Uh, she needs a little seasoning, but that comes with experience. And I think and I hope and pray that she gets that experience on November 8th or January 1st, as it were. Uh, she is uh, running for the second time against Paul Tonko. She was defeated two years ago. And Tonko's been in politics all of his life. I mean, he's a trained engineer, as he told us four or five times during the debate. That's his training, but he's worked his entire adult life in the public sector. As far as I'm pretty sure he has, 46 years, a politician. Hopefully it's his last year because I think he's nervous. I don't think I've seen him debate. I'm sure he has debated, but he just looked a little nervous to me in his opening, his opening statement. He appeared nervous. And I've, I know Paul Tonka. We go back uh, many years ago. I was working as working at a small station in Amsterdam. He was the assemblyman from that district. I, I, I just I think he's like a lot of politicians, Democrat and Republican. I think he has been around too long. He's phony. He knows all the right things to say at the right times, but he doesn't get things done. And Joy pointed that out. She she right in the first couple of minutes. She said, "In all the time you've been in Congress, you have had three bills." No, no bills that are consequential. Anyway, it's a good debate, and I hope Liz Joy pulls it out because it's going to be it's going to be a tough a tough road to hoe for some of these incumbents because uh, people are not happy. They are not happy indeed, and uh, and Liz pointed that out in her debate with Tonko. I think a lot of these politicians are kind of impervious to what the American people are going through. They're not struggling. They're not looking for second and third jobs. A lot of these people they make one hundred seventy nine five a year, Congress people. That's far and above what the average New Yorker makes. The average American makes under 60000 a year. So I think it should be the other way around. I think whatever the average American makes is what Congress people should make or what assembly men should be making. They should be making 120000 a year. I think that's what the assembly members get per year, 120000 Plus they get more if they chair a committee and they get their per diems if they have to drive over 50 miles to Albany. For any given reason, they get $171 a day plus meals, one or two meals. Anyway, I'm digressing. You know, I don't want to discount COVID. I'm not a COVID denier. A lot of people have accused me of being a COVID denier. COVID is real. The pandemic was real. It was devastating. Millions of people died across this nation. That's a fact. And many of them died unnecessarily. You know, we could go down the the line on what, what Andrew Cuomo did as governor. But, you know, that's rehashing old news. But Democrats, and mostly it was Democrats, who tried to push through these mandates and these decrees, and they claimed at the time that they were based on science. Well, they weren't. They weren't based on science. Churches were closed. Why? I'll never know. But, you know, that's what communist countries do. They closed schools and churches and uh, these radical politicians and these radicals in the healthcare industry try to frighten people into submitting to their decrees. That's not going to happen again. I guarantee it. 
I don't think it's going to happen. But the elites used COVID as a weapon to seize control of the masses. Somebody put it. I remember reading that recently. That's exactly what happened. And these radicals within the Democratic Party saw another weapon to use in their efforts to hijack control of this country. I think that's what's going on. COVID was about control. The, the, the response to COVID was about control. They needed a way to, to, to remain in power. And they're still doing it. They're still trying to manipulate the voting uh, apparatus, in, especially in New York State. And I'm going to read you a, a ruling by a New York judge. This is uh, from a judge in New York ruled that voting by mail over fears of the coronavirus is unconstitutional. Did you hear that? They foisted, I should say, this notion that we have to we have to vote by mail. We have all these mail-in ballots because we're afraid of getting too close to people uh, in, in line waiting to vote. It was nonsense. But I'll read you what the judge from Saratoga, this uh, state judge, and I'm looking for her name, Justice uh, Diane Freestone, wrote in her ruling last Friday. This is an exact quote from her ruling, a 28-page ruling. The Democrat-controlled legislature appears poised to continue the expanded absentee voting provisions of the New York state election law in an Orwellian perpetual state of health emergency and cloaked in the veneer of voter enfranchisement. Perfectly put, but you would expect the judge to be able to to word things properly. So this uh, ruling, 28-page ruling, ordered local election boards to stop counting absentee ballots they've already received and to, quote, preserve them until after Election Day, November 8th, or after the resolution of a lawsuit filed by Republicans in the state. The ruling does not invalidate ballots that have been already uh, mailed. But anything coming in after Election Day, you got to hold it. Because this is this cannot be allowed to happen again. What happened on Election Day 2020 in the presidential election can never, ever be allowed to happen again. They want to manipulate elections, Democrats, because they know they what they're proposing and what they're advocating is not palatable to the American people. Americans don't want what they're selling. We don't want to buy what they're selling. So they need to manipulate the the, the elections. That's the left's new strategy. And they have you know their uh, handmaidens in the mainstream media and big tech to control the information that people receive. They, they control the information flow, and that's just, this is how they manipulate elections. But they cheat. We know they cheat. I mean, I'm not going to, again, rehash old news, but look up some of these. You can look up stories on what happened in Wisconsin especially. That election was stolen in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Maricopa County, Arizona, and on and on it goes. Anyway, um, oh, I just want to, as a, as a side note here, voter integrity groups say, I'm looking at a piece here from World Net Daily, that there were over 4 million illegal ballots as part of the Democrats' harvesting scheme to steal the election in 2020. Well, it worked. To make the scheme work, liberals had to push for open-ended policies for mail-in and absentee balloting. And they're doing it again this time. They're, they're trying to. But this judge in Saratoga said, nah, not this time. So why would the Democrats need to continue to their push for widespread absentee voting? Despite they know the risks of fraud, they don't care. That's the whole point, to make the election fraudulent. They can't win. I don't believe they can win uh, on an up-and-up election. 
that's the only way they can win. Allow illegal uh, aliens to vote. You know, migrants. You don't have to be U.S. citizen to vote. That was in one of the bills Paul Tonko signed on to. And Liz Joy pointed that out. I think it was H.R. 1 that gave illegal aliens the right to vote in our elections. This is the kind of stuff that most New Yorkers and most Americans aren't aware of because they're not really clued into it. They have other things to do. They have families to raise. They have work, uh, you know, jobs to go to, more than one in, in many cases. But this is what's what's happening. I love Judge Freestone's wording. An Orwellian perpetual state of health emergency using COVID, which was real. I'm not a COVID denier. You see, there was a ruling about a week, 10 days ago, the New York State Supreme Court ruled that the New York City government cannot fire workers for not getting vaccinated against COVID. This deals a blow to Mayor Adams's pandemic policy, doesn't it? The court ordered the city, city taxpayers, to reinstate all fired employees and grant them back pay, citing the fact that being vaccinated against COVID-19 does not stop an individual from catching or spreading the virus. We know it doesn't. The CDC director just got COVID a few days after getting boosted for the umpteenth time. This is Walensky. It doesn't stop anybody from catching or spreading the virus. So being vaccinated does not grant enough community-wide benefit to warrant a mandate. That was a ruling from the state Supreme Court in New York. This is what the court said in its ruling. States of emergency are meant to be temporary. The question presented is whether the health commissioner has the authority to enact a permanent condition of employment during a state of emergency. Well, the commissioner did not have that right, according to the court. So these people who were fired in New York City for not getting the vax, they got to get hired back with, with full pay, with full back pay. I love it. These Democrats think they can just force you into, you know, submitting to their will. Those days are over, and they're going to find out how much so on November 8th. New surveys, a bunch of new surveys. This came out a little bit over a week ago, so some of these uh, stories are, are dated. But, I mean, I think, I think it's going to, if anything, it's going to be worse for Democrats than what I'm reading to you here. CNBC reported these new, new surveys in battleground states have showed impressive swings toward Republicans. In Ohio, the Senate race is tight. Republican venture capitalist J.D. Vance and Democratic incumbent uh, Tim Ryan, according to Spectrum News and the Siena College latest poll, that, that pair is tied at 46% each. But 40% of Ohio voters said they pre uh, preferred Republican control of the House and Senate compared to 33% who said the same for Democrats. So and Ryan was up three points last month. Now that race is a dead heat. And, uh, you know, Trump won Ohio, I think, by eight points in 2020. In the uh, race for governor of Arizona, the GOP's nominee, former local news anchor Carrie Lake, holds a three percentage point advantage over the uh, Democratic opponent, Katie Hobbs. Ho Hobbs is afraid to death to, to uh, debate uh, Lake. And you can see why. Lake is very, she's sharp, she's well-spoken, being a former news anchor. And Hobbs is frightened, like a lot of Democrats. She's afraid of COVID, she's afraid of Lake, she's afraid of everything. Meanwhile, in Texas, the gubernatorial race showing incumbent Governor Greg Abbott's lead over Democratic challenger Beto O'Rourke, I call him Beta, is nearing or at double double digits. I mean, Beto O'Rourke has got no, he's got two chances, slim and none to beat, to beat Abbott in Texas. Recent University of Texas poll shows the Republican governor up 11 points, 
Furthermore, 54% of respondents say they supported uh, Abbott's cabinet transporting illegals to northern cities. They like it. They like it. You know what they're worried about? And I've said this, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm going to hammer this home because it's, it's true. It's the high cost of living. It's the inflation rate. It's the corruption in some of these Democratic strongholds, like here in New York with the uh, kickback Kathy Hochul. It's crime on the increase, especially in New York and in New York City. People are concerned about their safety and their well-being and their jobs and their families. And inflation, putting food on the table, keeping a roof over your heads. That's my concern as a a father and the provider in in my family. I want to keep the roof over my family's head and make sure they're safe and fed. That's what every father and husband is worried about. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to do it with one job. And it shouldn't have to be. You think your local lawmakers are looking for second jobs or third jobs? No. You think Congress people are out looking for another job? No, they should be, most of them. And hopefully many Democrats will be after November 8th. Uh, there's a story here in California. I don't have enough time. I can't believe we're at the uh, the 14-minute mark. We're going to cut it off here. There's a story in California that's uh, getting some traction. I don't hear anybody in the mainstream media talking about it, but there's a movement afoot in California to create a separate state. And I think if any place it's needed, other than New York, obviously, it's California. It's an excellent piece. It was in, I forget, I think it was Red State or one of those, uh, World Net Daily. We'll talk about it on Tuesday or Wednesday, I guess. I'll record something Tuesday for Wednesday's show. And we'll have it for you next time. Thank you very much for tuning us in. We have a bunch of fine programming on the uh, BMG network. We have this show, Pac-Man with me, Ted Flint. It airs at least once a week. You get a bonus edition here uh, on the weekend. My daughter, Madeline, with The Essentials with Maddie Flint. That airs on Fridays. Uh, the Adrian Ross Show on Tuesday. We have some new shows up there, too. Ken is uh, Ken and Malaysia doing a fine job getting all this uh, material up there. We write columns. The Pack Perspective is up there for you at least once a week. Check it out, bmgnetwork.com. If you want to contact me directly, it's Pac-Man, P-A-C-M-A-N, at the bmgnetwork.com, all lowercase. Thank you for tuning us in, folks. And if the Lord wills it, we'll talk to you soon. The Pac-Man Podcast was produced and edited in the BMG studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint.